Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio program. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today is, Are You Running From God? In America, and probably in many other nations, we live amongst many who have turned from God or who are running from His call on their lives. Today, I want to talk about how turning away from the Most High has drastic consequences in your life. Before I begin, let me explain something. Because there are a number of prophetic messages that came up as I was typing this message today. So for anyone who has not listened to me very long, here is how you know if a prophetic word is for you. If when you hear me give the message, when I say this is a word for somebody, if you feel like that message is speaking directly to you, then that word is for you. Even if I said, I think this is for a man and you're a woman, even if there's a name attached to it and it's not yours, almost all words are for multiple people. Pay heed to that word if you feel he is speaking to you. Pay close heed to it because these messages are very, very important and it is no small thing to be given a prophetic word from the Most High. Nowhere is a story of running from God more clear in the Bible than the story of Jonah. Many people have questioned whether the story of Jonah is, you know, even real. Was it really factual? Many people have questioned whether it even could possibly have happened under any circumstances. I've always wondered how he could possibly have had enough air to live on for even an hour in that whale's belly and how the stomach acids did not burn his skin right off of him. Talk about an uncomfortable cruise, y'all. But the word of God is all true, so we know it did happen. And more and more in our time, science, who used to laugh at the Bible, More and more science is actually confirming it. Here are a few interesting quotes about that that I found on uh, one place slash ministry slash regaining lost ground. Richard Dawkins, an evolutionary biologist at Oxford, made the following statement. The fact that life evolved out of literally nothing some 10 billion years after the universe evolved literally out of nothing is a fact so staggering that I would be mad to attempt words to do it justice. Antony Flew, 1923-2010, was once the world's most famous atheist. But in 2004, he shocked the world. He left atheism. The integrate, he said, the integrated complexity of life itself, which is far more complex than the physical universe, can only be explained in terms of an intelligent source. He went on to say that Christianity is the most persuasive argument. In short, there must be a creator. Evolution is not a fact, it's a theory. Charles Darwin, the main proponent for evolution, basically said, I think this is what happened, when he wrote on the origin of species. Even though there is no fossil support, DNA confirmation, or any physical evidence anywhere, it is taught in our school system as fact, and creation is viewed as a myth. 
How ironic a theory without evidence is taught as fact, and an explanation of creation backed by science is taught as a myth. It actually takes more faith to believe that everything came from nothing. Additionally, the science of biogenesis discredits evolution. It says that living things come from other living things, thus answering the age-old question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? According to the science of biogenesis and God's word, the chicken did. End quote. There was a story that came out of the 1800s about a man who survived being swallowed up by a whale. Let me read you that story, because I've heard it before, but it's interesting to recount. There's an article on AustralianGeographic.com. Did a 19th century sailor get swallowed by a sperm whale and survive? By the way, just out of curiosity, I wanted to know why sperm whales are called sperm whales. And I looked it up and it says they are named after the waxy substance. Um, Spermaceti, I think it said, found in their heads. The spermaceti is an oil sac that helps the whales focus sound. And spermaceti was used in oil lamps, lubricants, and candles. So that must be why everybody went a whale in back then. Okay, so must have been pretty tricky business back in the 1800s, I would think. All right, so it says in 1891. Two small whale boats from the British vessel, the Star of the East, were lowered into the frigid waters of the Falkland Islands, 500 kilometers east of Argentina, after sighting a huge sperm whale. Crew member James Bartley, 21, watched as the harpoon met its mark and the creature dived 250 meters before the line went slack once more. Moments later, the whale burst from the water, smashing one boat. All but two of its crew were rescued. One of the missing was Bartley. The whale resurfaced and was winched to the ship where the whalers noticed movements in its stomach, so they cut, cut open its gut. Out came a boot on a trousered leg, and there was James Bartley still living after 15 hours in the belly of a whale. Its digestive juices had permanently bleached his skin and deathly quiet. He lost his hair and was nearly blind. For two weeks, he was delirious, and it was a month before he could tell how he'd fallen into that whale's mouth felt the huge teeth grate over him as he slid down into its throat and stomach. This modern Jonah lived 18 more years dying at 39, continues an account of the Eden Killer Whale Museum on the south coast of NSW, which sources the story to, quote, records of British admiralty, end quote. The museum adds a note, before diving, di before diving Sperm whales inhaled deeply and rapidly, storing oxygen in muscle fibers, tissues, and blood. Could it be that James Bartley survived through the storing up of such oxygen? This was actually taken from a newspaper article. The answer is clearly no, but if the museum swallowed the story, so did the media for the next 100 years. Bartley was the subject of a <laughs> cetacean-styled, I guess that's how you say that, early example of journalism. Uh, which is the pinching and recycling of one's journalist story. Okay, so other places picked up the story and repeated it, is what it basically comes down to. The tale Refused to Die was rerun in many papers over the next two decades. Historians have since concluded that the Star of the East was not a whaler 
and there was no James Bartley on its crew manifest, while scientists confirm it is not possible to survive for 15 hours in the stomach of a sperm whale. I think that is very interesting. Okay. I'm going to read you something else. Um, there's a site called cob-net.org. This is on its Inspire page. Is the story of Jonah being swallowed by a large sea creature actually true? Could a fully grown man be swallowed by a whale or large fish and live to tell about the experience? And then it goes on to say, I wanted to read you this because of something else that's in it. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. The Bible has vindicated itself against the best of charges. The prophet Isaiah tells of the Assyrian king Sargon in chapter 20, verse 1, the only such biblical reference to this royal figure. Because no secular record or ancient authority mentioned this king, critics and biblical scholars ridiculed the passage for centuries as being unreliable. Even though the Bible makes a very clear statement, it was rejected because there was no, quote, secular work to confirm it. That's, y'all, a case of man thinking he's God right there. That is until 1843 when a team of French archaeologists under the direction of Paul Emily Botta discovered a huge palace in Khorzabad outside of the ancient city of Nineveh. It contained massive foundations replete with inscriptions, and one room contained over 19,000 clay tablets detailing financial transactions and war campaigns. Whose palace did it belong to? You guessed it. Today we know more about Sargon than all other Assyrian kings. And once again, the Bible was right. So, I liked that. I liked what they wrote about that there. I wanted y'all to hear about that Sargon, because I'd never heard that before. Okay, now, there is one case that was just recently written about on June 11, 2021, in the Cape Cod Times. The story, it says, came out of Provincetown. Uh, on a vessel called the Jaw in Jay, was off of Herring Cove Beach and surrounded by a fleet of boats catching striped bass. The water temperature was a balmy 60 degrees and the visibility about 20 feet. Licensed commercial lobster divers literally pluck lobsters off the sandy bottom. And as Packard, 56, the man in the story, dove down Friday morning, he saw schools of sand lances and stripers swimming by. One year later, Michael Packard recalls escape from whale's mouth. The ocean food chain was in full evidence, but about 10 feet from the bottom, Packard suddenly knew what it truly felt like to be part of that chain. In something truly biblical, Packard was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. And he said, all of a sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely black. Packard recalled Friday afternoon following his release from Cape Cod Hospital in Hyannis. I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles in his mouth. Initially, Packard thought he was inside a great white shark, but he couldn't feel any teeth, and he hadn't suffered any obvious wounds. It quickly dawned on him that he had been swallowed by a whale. I was completely inside. It was completely black, Packard said. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. All I could think of was my boys. They're 12 and 15 years old. Outfitted with scuba gear, he struggled and the whale began shaking its head so that Packard could tell he didn't like it. 
He estimated he was in the whale for 30 to 40 seconds before the whale finally surfaced. I saw light and he started throwing his head side to side and the next thing I knew I was outside in the water, said Packard, who lives in a whale fleet. So that is a story where it actually happened, but he wasn't even in there very long. So that's a good thing. But I thought that was very interesting. Somebody was swallowed but came back out of it. Who knows if anyone's been swallowed and not come back out of it. I don't really know. Okay, now, where were we? So now you know the story about the man in the eastern star. Okay, let me read you a few verses from the book of Jonah to lay the foundation of our sermon here. In Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Nineveh was the most important city in Assyria at that time. Jonah did not like the Assyrians, and it is likely he would have feared them since he grew up hearing about their atrocities. Jonah does not say much about Nineveh's evil, but the prophet Nahum does. Prophet Nahum in nine says that she plots against God himself. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. And in Nahum 2.8 and 2.10 to 13, that she plots against the helpless and that they are cruel in war. Starting in verse 8, but Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the lions whelp, and none made them afraid? The lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelps, and strangled for his lionesses, and filled his holes with prey and his dens with raven. Nahum 2.13 Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. And in Nahum 3.4 he declares they are guilty of idolatry, whoredoms, and witchcraft. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. So the Assyrian Empire had achieved a legendary reputation for cruelty, and it was well-deserved, too, from what I'm going to tell you in a few minutes. They were bad, y'all. I've never even read anything like that. I was pretty shocked. This, there's a lot of good historical information in this sermon that I wanted y'all to hear. We've, I mean, I've talked about Jonah before plenty of times, I'm sure. Where was I? I keep losing my place. And another thing before I go on, talking about Nineveh, talking about the Assyrians, made me think about America. Okay, so they're all guilty of idolatry, whoredoms, and witchcraft. The Assyrian Empire had become legendary for being so cruel. 
Assyria deported conquered people to other lands to break them of their national pride. And what that means is they took prisoners of war and shipped them out to other places to break their pride. This also built a large segment of slave labor. The Assyrians were great warriors and were active in aggressively robbing other nations by force. The Assyrians, brace yourself, skinned their prisoners alive. They cut off hands, feet, ears, noses, and put out eyes or pulled out tongues. The Assyrians, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't even have, that's barbaric. The Assyrians would build mounds of human skulls at areas they had conquered to inspire terror. The empire had been prepared for Jonah's message by two separate plagues and a solar eclipse. So they were really wicked. But notice that God still wanted to save them. So he told Jonah to go preach to them. And Jonah was like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't like them. I'm out of here. Bye. But remember, if God wanted to save these violent heathens, he wants to save you too. No matter what you have done, you cannot outrun him. Can I just tell you that? Now, this is a word for somebody who is listening to a part of this podcast because you are overhearing it someplace you have to be. This message is for you. I think you are a male with dark hair, but this may be for more than one person of either sex. God put this word here for you. You cannot outrun him. You know he is calling you. You know you don't want to give up your sin, but all he is asking you to do is let him love you and make your life better by committing your heart to him. It will be your choice to give up sin. He does not force you. He's a gentleman. He wants you to know that there is no place to hide from him. You cannot outrun him and he will not let you have peace until you surrender your heart to him. That, sir, is why you've had no peace. You keep trying to find it through other things, but nothing brings the real peace, does it? You get a few minutes or hours of calm, but you don't get peace. He always pursues those he loves, and he loves you more than any person on earth is even capable of loving you. And he wants you to give your heart to him. All you have to do is whisper, Lord, I accept. I give you my heart right now. I know I've been running. You can have it. Please save me. That's it. That's it. He will take it from there. And I can tell you from experience, you never made a better decision in your life than that one, and you will never regret it. You will know so much peace and you will be overjoyed. Okay, where was I? The Lord needed to get that message out. So these were violent, mean-spirited people. But of course they were. They weren't saved. They didn't have the Lord, so how could they be anything else? And our wonderful God still loved them and wanted to make them his own. I think that's so cool. So, you know, sometimes we say no to God and sometimes we say, not yet, God, I'm having too much fun. We can see from scripture that Jonah just told God, he said, no way I'm preaching to those people. I'm not doing it. So sometimes when God calls, people say no. And sometimes, like with the rich young ruler who asked Jesus what he must do to be saved, and the Lord told him, go sell all he had and come follow him. We say, not yet, I have more to do first. Or not yet, I'm having too much fun or I want to keep my stuff. They think surely God wants them to enjoy their lives. But he gives us a different kind of joy in our lives when we follow him. He's not interested in the kind of joy you're having right now because that's not real joy. That's momentary happiness and cheap thrills. 
He gives you a far superior joy that you cannot buy in any store or smoke in any pipe or mix up in any glass. He offers a peace so unique you can have it in the middle of the worst day in history because you know he is still God and he's got you no matter what's happening. There is a price for rebellion and there is a price for resisting the Most High. Give very prayerful consideration if you have been telling him no or not yet. Because whatever you are chasing or giving all your time and energy to, instead, you are probably about to lose. For anyone who continues to run from the Lord, the story of Jonah shows that the Lord will use any means necessary to halt your progress as you're running away. That is an envelope I personally would not want to push. Okay, now there's somebody listening to this that the Lord wants you to know. If he has to have you arrested to get your attention, he will. And if he has to do that, it's not punishment from him, it's mercy. You don't know it, but you have considerably less time left on earth than the people around you. And he is trying to save you from yourself and from damnation. Please, please listen so you won't have to live with regret later on. Regret is a harsh taskmaster and you have a daughter to consider. Okay, so God spoke to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh and preach to them because their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah said, I'm out of here and jumped on a ship headed the other way, like some of us. A note in my study Bible says that in Jonah's time, the Israelites were a nomadic people. So that means they basically lived in tents and moved from place to place with their herds looking for good pasture. But since their location was along the Mediterranean Sea near Phoenicia and Philistia, They had a lot of contact with ships and sailors. The ship Jonah sailed on was probably a large trading vessel with a deck. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. This is Jonah 1.5. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Proof that running from God will wear you out. Jonah was wore out. Because he was running so hard from God, I think. He was sure God would not find him on that ship, so he went ahead and went to sleep. And when God stopped laughing about that, he goes, Okay, Jonah, have it your way, but you probably won't like it. Jonah 1.4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Jonah ran from God out of fear, but as we say in the south, out of the frying pan and into the fire. He got into an even worse predicament by running instead of doing what was right. And in doing that, Jonah put every man on that boat in grave danger. Okay, this is a word for somebody. You, sir, with your sinful lifestyle are putting your entire family in danger. You know what the Lord is talking about. You are endangering their safety, their freedom. You need to stop what you're doing now. The Lord says to you, either the drugs go or you do. I will have you arrested and you will be sentenced to over 20 years. You know your wife is a godly woman and she is training your children up in my ways and you dare to put that in danger? You dare to treat her that way when she is mine? Many nights she has wept and cried out to me for your soul and I have made promises to her and I will keep every one of them to her too. I am well able to take care of her regardless of what you do and what happens as a consequence. Know that I love you as well, but I will not tolerate this any longer. Get every ounce, every speck of drugs off the property 
and out of the vehicles where she and those children dwell, or I will do it for you. And if I have to do it, I will not spare you. I will turn you over to the enemies and call them to come and destroy you. You have 24 hours from the time you hear this, not one minute longer. You will stop putting my daughter through that. Ooh, if any of you have ever doubted the power of praying for your wayward spouse, of standing in faith while unequally yoked, there you go. Okay, moving right along. That word stunned even me. Okay, to the gentleman the Lord just spoke to, sir, he loves you and he wants you to give him your heart and he will help you if you do. He will help you financially, emotionally, physically, every way he can, but he will not tolerate what's going on. You will not continue dealing drugs out of that house with your wife and children there. Please understand when he speaks a word like that, he is not playing. This is not a joke. Early in this ministry, the Lord gave me a word for a friend of mine that lived in Dallas. He had HIV and he kept falling back into homosexuality, even though he was trying to resist. The reason I know this is he would call me every Monday and tell me about it and ask me for prayer and help with deliverance. Because he was a member of his church leadership and was a witness to so many, the Lord gave me a word for him and said, if you do it again, I'm going to kill you. That's the only time I've ever heard God say those words to anybody. And he received that word. He said, okay, I'm just, I'm going to try to do better. And he kept trying and he kept falling into temptation. I don't know if he was going where the temptation was or what. He was, he was young. But God kept his word. This young man wrote me a letter from his deathbed. And he put a phone number in it where he was saying, and I called it immediately after I read the letter. And they said he was dead before I even got that letter in my hands from cancer. And he was young. He was in his early 20s. God is not playing, y'all, especially in this time. He is not playing. I would not be surprised if the words become more and more stern. We are out of time. Please, please listen. If any of these words are for you, please listen. Please don't play with God because he's not playing with you. Okay, so Jonah ran from God. He boarded a ship and went to sleep and... He was sure that the Lord could not find him and send him to Nineveh as long as he was headed for Tarshish. He didn't think God could stop that ship. Just let me say, and this is a word for somebody, the Lord knows where you are and what you've been doing. And he does know where to find you. So Jonah goes to Joppa, boards a ship. And many scholars believe that Tarshish was in the southern part of modern day Spain. It is not by chance that Tarshish is in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, I'm sure. Nineveh, by the way, is in northern Iraq. Nineveh was founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, following the flood. It became the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was more than just a solitary city. It included a network of like little towns that were up close to it that were kind of like suburbs. It was just over three miles long and one and a half miles wide, and it was protected by a massive fortress and 50-foot-high walls that were so thick, four chariots could run abreast and race one another on the top. It sat near the Tigris River, and the Kosa River flowed through it, and it was destroyed in August 612 B.C. after a two-month siege 
by the alliance of the Medes, Babylonians, and Scythians, and it was destroyed by the full release of the Kosher River into the main part of the city. Okay, that's just history on Nineveh. So the ship is being tossed and turned, and all the sailors are freaking out, and rightfully so. They start throwing stuff overboard, and then went to Jonah because they knew their luck was not that bad before he got on the ship, right? The ship was being blown all over the place, even with the men rowing as hard as they could, until they even started praying to God to save them. So a boatload of sinners got saved in spite of Jonah's disobedience. I think that's pretty cool. God uses whatever is at hand when he is trying to save somebody. So don't worry about anybody you're praying for getting saved because he'll use whatever's around them. So they ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where are you from? You know, what is your country? Who are your people? And he said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was run away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, they kept trying to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And finally, they cried to the Lord and said, Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So after the sailors tossed him out of the boat and the storm stopped, it scared the daylights out of them, which is right, and they made vows and offered a sacrifice because they recognized only the power of a mighty God could do that. So God sent Moby Dick, who swallowed up Jonah, and took off. I wonder if he was swimming towards Nineveh right after he swallowed him, because I think he probably was. Wherever he headed, it took him three days of really bad indigestion to get there. So the whale gets to wherever he was going and throws up, releasing Jonah, who had been praying and beseeching God the whole time, I would think. And Jonah 3, 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I shall bid thee. And he left that time. He said, Okay, let's go. And Jonah went at last and obeyed God. And we know that the people of Nineveh turned to God. Today, if you are running from the Lord's will for your life, remember this. If we are God's children, we are not our own. When you give your life to Jesus, it's really not yours anymore. It's his. We belong to him. We are his children and he is our father. That means he's going to deal with us as disobedient children whenever the need arises. Think back to how your mom and dad disciplined you when you got out of line. You cannot blame a loving God who cares even more for you when he also disciplines you when you run from him. My mama taught me a lesson when I was very young. She said, don't ever run from me when you're about to get a spanking. And you know what? I never did. I was not that brave. I figured she said it will be the worst for you if you do. And I believed her. I believed her. And I'm sure it is the same with him. The joy that comes when we stop resisting his will for our lives and say, here I am, Lord. I can do nothing in my own strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I ran for years. With my mama and my eldest sister, God rest both their souls, preaching to me, trying to get me to turn around and do what was right. And I was like, I don't want none of that. I'm having fun. So I was one of those, 
Not now, Lord, I'm having too much fun. I figured I would get saved someday, probably when I was like really, really old and had nothing better to do. That literally was what I thought, y'all. When I had nothing better to do, I figured I'd get saved. If I had only known how much easier my life would be if I got saved, I would have done it so much sooner. I would have given it up quick. I had no idea that there was a God who truly, truly loved me, who cared about my thoughts and my feelings and what I was going through and would help me with them. I didn't know that. I, that was not the Jesus I saw in, in the things that I was being told and what I heard. But that is the Jesus that is. He is a loving, loving God. And he cares about you. And he doesn't want you to suffer or go the wrong path. He wants your life to be better. But in order to be better, you got to let him have it so he can change it. So if you've never given your life to him and you want to, all you have to say is, Lord, here I am. Raise your hand and say, here I am. Please save me and change my life forever. And if you do that, he will take it from there. You don't have to worry about anything else. Start there. And then he'll help you from there. From then on and from now on, you'll never be alone again and you'll never be without help. And he is amazing. I can't even begin to tell you. That's the best decision I ever made, ever. That's all I have for y'all this week. This was not at all the podcast I had planned for you, by the way. The podcast I was trying to add on to when I started writing, this is what came out. So, and it came out very strongly and I got all those words, which tells me this was the podcast God wanted you to have. So I hope it has been a blessing to you. I know it had to have been a blessing to somebody. If I can help any of you in any way, let me know. Thanks for listening. Jesus bless you. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. I hope this has inspired you to a closer walk with Christ. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., P.O. Box 854 Altus. Oklahoma, that's A-L-T-U-S, Oklahoma 73522, or by email at wingsofprophecy at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Have you ever gone through a time in your life where suddenly it just felt like your whole life was falling apart? I call these experiences the wilderness experiences. Wilderness experiences are time of great uncertainty and change. Uh, there are times when our faith is tried and refined. After many experiences, the Lord spoke to me to write The Wilderness Companion, which is a virtual roadmap through the desert times of your life. Find out why you've been led to the wilderness. Find out what the biggest hindrance is to receiving provision in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Drastically cut the time you spend in the wilderness by learning how to partner with the Lord instead of working against Him. Every Christian needs to read The Wilderness Companion. It's by Glenda Lomax, and it's available on Amazon.com or WingsOfProphecy.com. Amazon.com, The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax. 
Sidewalk Flowers Volume 1 is a collection of 58 short inspirational readings that will uplift, comfort, and encourage readers from every walk of life. Sidewalk Flowers includes inspirational tales and topics taken from the lives of everyday people who exhibited extraordinary wisdom, kindness, and courage while traveling the sidewalks of life. Get your copy of Sidewalk Flowers Volume 1 today, available in print and new audiobook. Sidewalk Flowers Volume 1 by Glenda Lomax, available on Amazon.com in print or new audiobook. There is no one on earth who has not been wronged at some time in their life. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has been hurt by someone. The pain you have suffered does not make you special. It is what you do with that pain that sets you apart. Life can make you bitter or it can make you better. You choose. The only difference between the two is the I 